presents the Pick 6 Podcast, featuring CBS NFL writers Pete Prisco and Will Brinson, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, and host Nick Costos. You want NFL talk? We've got NFL talk. From training camp to the Super Bowl and through the NFL draft, our fearsome foursome has you covered. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Six podcast Tuesday. Nick Costos, Will Brinson, Jason Locke, and Fora. Pete Prisco stuck on a plane going back to Jacksonville. Yeah, real, real shame that his plane is delayed. I'm really upset. Yeah, or, or, or I'm not upset in the slightest. So we got a lot of news in the NFL. We're going to hit all the coaching news right now. Coming up later in the week, our full preview for Championship Sunday, picks against the spread, and all the analysis. But let's dive into these coaching situations here. Good thing we've got our CBS Sports NFL insider, Jason Lockhand, for along. JLC, let's start with the news that broke on Monday. Mike Malarkey out in Tennessee. Yeah, the decision um, was a long time coming. The timing is obviously bizarre. And, uh, you know, Amy Adams strunk. A lot of concerns about, well, first of all, she's, I mean, I don't even know if she really is the Titans owner. I mean, she's their acting owner by their decision, but there's never been league approval of that. She's been fined because they're not in compliance with the actual NFL ownership bylaws. Um, but of the, you know, heirs to Bud Adams, she's the one who's seemingly in charge, and she's the one who promoted Malarkey when they fired Wisenhunt and then made him the full-time coach. And then kept him around these last couple of years. And then was, uh, you know, put out a statement eight days ago <laughs> saying he's our coach moving forward. I guess you should have put, you know, ellipses and then parentheses for at least the next week. They're <laughs> bizarre, you know. They've done a lot of bizarre stuff there. Um, had they just made this move? Look, the GMs wanted Josh McDaniels for years. And everybody knows that. And all things being equal, that's probably where Josh would have been. But... When you have that three-game losing streak down the stretch and Mariota's throwing a ton of picks and, and, and no touchdowns, you, you, you want to make sure you get McDaniels and fire your coach then. You know, when you, when you fall from 8-3 and three to 8-7, and seven, no. fire your coach then. And then if you, make the, if you make the playoffs with the interim guy, you can still say, hey, you know, whoever that interim guy was, LeBeau or Rubisky, Rubisky or whatever, yeah. we'd like them to be on our staff moving forward, but, you know, we feel like there's some – some dynamic coaches out there that we need to pair with our young quarterback. But now they find themselves doing it three weeks too late. And the McDaniels train is in parked in Indianapolis. And we'll see, you know. We'll see what they do there. I, I like that they're talking to Matt LaFleur. I'd want him as my OC. I don't want him jumping to head coach without having ever called plays and, and kind of being, you know, McVay's underling. It's great to be McVay's underling. But then, like just like McVeigh was Kyle Shanahan and Jay Gruden's underling, then eventually that guy becomes the guy and runs the whole offense for two or three years. And then when he does it at a high level, then you make him your head coach. I don't think you skip that step here. But McVeigh would let him leave for a lateral move, I'm told, if it included play-calling duties. He won't hold them back. I'd be interviewing LaFleur to see if he's a pair with Mike Vrabel or Steve Wilkes or maybe ultimately Frank Wright. Oh, I like that. Like or uh, or Jimmy Schwartz. I would get a defensive-minded head coach, personally, and get the best coordinator I could get for uh, for the kid, for Mariota. And, and you know, could it be Schwartz and DiFilippo? Schwartz was very, had a very successful stint there under Jeff Fisher. Yeah. Um, you know, first as a position coach, and then when Greg Williams left to be the head coach of the Bills, he became the, the, the defensive coordinator there. Yep. He has a house there. 
He still has strong ties to the area. The Adams family respected his work. You pair him with a LaFleur or a Filippo, and I start buying it. But ultimately, I think Josh McDaniels will be a rock star the second time around. And I think John Robinson will ultimately be fired because he didn't get that guy. And it won't be his fault because it was up to him. He would have hired him two years ago. All right. So, okay. And I agree with what you're saying about the Titans job. To me, the Titans is an attractive job. You have a core. And I, I, I'm not trying to say Corey Davis is a superstar, but he, he flashed late. Derrick Henry is there. You have Mariota. He's a superstar. In my opinion. <laughs> Mariota. To me, if you put that guy in a modern NFL spread offense and let him operate with a good offensive coach, he's going to explode and he's going to have a, a, a great career. you got to keep him healthy, though. Here's the, the problem there is no, but he's I want, always hurt. Yeah. He's but, always but, hurt. But I want to ask you, why is McDaniels willing to just go to Indy here instead of – I mean, like Bill Belichick wrote, I resign as HC of NYJ. Will, I'm with you, buddy. Like, like, why is this an impediment? Like, why can't McDaniels still go to Tennessee? Like, that's what I don't get. Well, get it. It's just – it's it's just too far did not, gone. It's I mean, not like, happening. It's – it's uh... – So, like, like, he's basically hasn't signed the contract but has a non-binding verbal agreement with Chris Ballard and he doesn't want to be the guy who backtracks on it and looks like yeah. it's – And, and cares well, about and, backtracking. And, and... I mean, Look, this guy's life and career. Who cares about backtrack? I'd be out of there in a second if I thought Tennessee was a better job. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he, he's comfortable that Andrew Luck's coming back. And that's obviously super attractive. Nobody can guarantee Mariota's health. Sure. He's not built like a Cam Newton. He's not built like a Carson Wentz. He's not built like an Andrew Luck. Um, if, if Luck is healthy... And you like, and this, well, this has to mean he is right. Like this, like if Josh McDaniels is choosing Indy over Tennessee, will doesn't that mean that that means to me that he's got to think that, that Luck's going to be ready for Week One, right? I mean, to me, what it says is Chris Ballard has been honest and open with him about the situation. That he knows that he has Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback he's worked with in the past as the as the fallback option, and that he thinks that Luck will be available for 2018. Because if Luck, if Luck is healthy, then the Indy job is better than the Tennessee job, I think. Well, and, and, and look, I mean, that Bill Belichick thing happened a long time ago before social media, before the league was covered the way it was. Um, and there is a stigma about Belichick coaches. And, and Josh would admit the first time around in Denver, he didn't do things across the board the way he should have. And, he, he has learned from it. I think I think he was humbled. I think he's much more mature. He's grown as a man. He's grown as a father. He's grown as a coach. And he knows there's not going to be a third chance. And if you pretty much have given, you know, if, if you if you basically have an agreement in so much as you can have an agreement, and look, he knew ten, everybody knew Tennessee could blow up at some point. It's not like that was, like, the most unfathomable thing in the world. You, you get into the playoffs, and now you've coached a game, and if you lose – you sign a contract with somebody, right? Had New England lost that game, he'd have been named the head coach of the New England of the of the Indianapolis Colts within hours of that defeat. Then, it, you know, you go back on that, and and you know that doesn't really work in your favor. And is that a is that a markedly better job? I don't know. Here's the thing: like, go get Josh McDaniels. Like, just go get him. Yeah. You hired a GM who told you from the onset. Yeah, if I really got to do everything the way I'd want to do it, I'd go get Josh right now. You stuck him with malarkey for over two years. That's on. I mean, 
So Josh is supposed to like now blow something up and, and, and just come running to them in you know, late January? No, this is why you make decisions proactively. Because as soon as, it, as soon as you saw that there was only going to be four or five openings and you know this guy is running a backwoods offense, you gotta, you got to man up. I mean, but the owner's loyal to him because it kind of sort of worked out when she promoted him over Wisenhunt. You can't wait till he refuses to run the ball in the fourth quarter of that game and then gets the kids sacked eight times to have flashbacks of Wisenhunt bringing him back too soon in the owner's estimation from, a, from an injury his, you know, his first year there and saying this isn't good enough. That, it's too late, lady. God, like, that win over the February. Chiefs screwed them, huh? That win over the Chiefs really screwed well, them. Well, the, the win over the Chiefs hurt him bad, but I think that this also speaks, and this happens so... The win over the Jags killed him. If they lose to the Jags, he's fired oh, that he's, night. Oh, he's done. McDaniels has probably has agreed to become their coach already, right? Well, But, but you, can't, you can't live on those contingencies. I mean, these are decisions that could affect, if it goes well, a decade or more of your franchise's Growth and you know, I'm not saying. Look, if it's Rabel or Schwartz, it might be fine. But if Mariota two years from now is still declining and regressing, and you've got in the division this rock star head coach who's putting up 40 points a game with Andrew Luck, someone's getting fired, and owners don't fire themselves. Assuming she's still the owner of the team at that point. Yeah, the the problem is, and I, I, you see this every at least three or four times every year is that ownership. The front office and the coaching staff are almost are never on the same page in these situations. Like they like they should have sat down. Amy Adams Strunk and John Robinson should have sat down and say, "Okay, look, here is the plan. Like, like you got to tell you got to sign off on getting rid of Malarkey. Okay, I want to go get McDaniel's. If you want to get McDaniel's, if you want this franchise to be awesome and to win, we'll go get McDaniel's." And there just wasn't a plan in place. And look, McDaniel, I mean, Malarkey foiled it by beating the Jags and beating the Chiefs, but. And then giving that, and then giving that lame ass press conference. Oh, this is, I've been left to twist in the wind in my face. Dude, you're coaching the National Football League. It comes with the territory, all right? And, 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 and how, bro, how, how pissed do you think John Robinson was, by the way? When, when, when Amy Adams Strunk goes, Mike Malarkey's our guy moving forward, John Robinson was probably breaking things in his office when that was. And, and that's when Josh McDaniel stops winking at him. I mean, this is directly from like people, oh, well, maybe Josh can't. No, man, this is, I mean, it's antiquated and it gets spit on sometimes, but this still is supposed to be a league of gentlemen and gentlewomen where your word <laughs> holds up, right? And that's like, your word means something. So when you get the first interview with the Colts and it goes great and they tell you everything you want to hear and you're fully comfortable with it and, you know, they've got a decision. They, they're putting a franchise together. They've got things they want to do. And they tell you, we will put everything on hold for six weeks if that's what it takes to hire you after the Super Bowl. And then you got this other owner who you know the GM really wants you, and she's putting out mealy-mouthed statements that kind of sort of say that guy's the coach. You move on. Like, okay, that's great. Go get Rabel. Go get whoever you get when you inevitably fire this guy. But these things, look. Did Caldwell deserve to really be fired this oh, year? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But nine and seven, back to back years. The, the Lions haven't had back to back winning seasons since ninety three to ninety five. Why did Caldwell get fired? Because he didn't get fired two years ago when the GM, if he, you know, if he really was was able to do everything he wanted, would have gone and got Matt Patricia then. You know, the Buffalo Bills and oh, it's you know Rex and Whaley are both a joke. But let's just extend rather than blowing it up. This thing Chicago's doing right now with pace. We'll see how that works out. I mean, you can go back to all these the Indianapolis Colts, right? Where 
it was dysfunction central. Let's give them both an extension. Then let's fire one of them one year later. Then let's fire the other one the other year. When your instincts and all your football sort of decision makers and, and everything is trending in a direction of we really don't think this guy is our guy long term, it's best to make that decision too soon than, than too late. It's like the saying, if you don't think an underdog can win, don't cover. You know, like in the playoffs. Like, I mean, like if you don't, if you don't think that this is your head coach and you're, and you're eyeing other head coaches – Fire the dude and move on. Like now, look, Amy. And this is a guy. He's on his fourth team with a career winning percentage of three ninety. Like yeah. it's not like he got a like summer. You could say, all right, he got a, a two years in Cleveland. They changed the the team stunk. He had a deadbeat owner who was selling the team the first year. Haslam comes in in October, guns a blazing. Pat Shermer didn't have a chance. Malarkey's had forces four times. No, he, this guy's not Bill Walsh, Mike Malarkey. I mean, it's, in 2004, they had to beat the Steelers' third stringers to make the playoffs, and they got blown out in that game. I mean, I would have never hired Mike Malarkey as a head coach after that, after the Buffalo experience. So, I mean, look, you're, you're 100% right, and this feels just like a catastrophic failure. It, by it's not, look, it could still be fine. Out. It could still be fine. Like, it could be. It's not the end of the world. But, like, if people are going to look at this through the prism of, well, McDaniel should just, you know, kick the Colts in the – in the chest and start flirting with those other guys. I mean, those teams are in the same division. They're going to play each other two times a year for, you know, infinity. Like, no, that's not how it works. Okay, let, me, let, me, let me try this. Will, if if all things are equal and Andrew Luck is healthy, which job do you think is better, Colts or Titans? I think, I think if Andrew Luck is healthy, I would prefer the Colts job. I thought it was interesting that Greg Doyle, uh, old friend of the program, and uh, old colleague, wrote this. I don't know if you – did you see the piece he wrote for um, the Indy Star? Yesterday, where he's like, he's like, did he do it? I heard he did a, a like a real hit job on Josh. Hatchet job on Josh McDaniels. I almost, did, I didn't read it, but enough people told me about it that I was trying to send him. It maybe he doesn't follow me. I was trying to send him a DM. Uh-huh. Like, I couldn't get it to go through. Like, you know, I have to read the piece, but I, I was just, I was trying to, I was trying to send him. Like, here's my cell. Like, let's just talk for a minute. Um, not here's, that I'm here to like protect Josh or anything, but like. The dude was thirty years old. You know what I mean. He got more power than he could handle. Like it, that that's gonna that doesn't have to define who he is for the rest of his life. He's still what is he, my age. He's still only forty three years old. Like, you know, it it was a debacle. I guess. That, well, that but, was sort of my, that was sort of my next question is, do you think that? And Greg framed it. And look, Greg has a, Greg has a, the compelling cases where hey, he was terrible in Denver. Also, it's not a guarantee that he's going to be great the second time around. Lane Kiffin wasn't good the second time around. We've seen multiple people not be great the second time around. He believes Belichick is the exception to the rule. This is his argument. I'm not I'm not agreeing with him. I think McDaniels is a good hire. Do you think Josh McDaniels will be good in Indianapolis, Jason? I think he'll be a, I think he'll be a rock star. I don't think he'll be good. I think he'll be great. And this is I've I've said to me in Google me and Josh McDaniels and whatever. Like, I, I've believed for four or five years that really since he got back in New England. You've been saying it since August, Jason, when we were talking about potential. Dude, I've been like, saying it. I mean, I've been saying this. I've been telling teams to hire this cat for four, like literally for four yeah, or five years. Just like, on our podcast, I'm saying since this started. But, but you've been no, saying it for a I, time. I firmly believe, like, I'm a big Adam Gase guy. And I said this at the time. 
I want Adam Gase ideally on his second job, not his first. Like there's certain things you just have to learn, and there's certain ways you just have to be humble, and there's certain fights you just have to fight, and then there's also certain fights that you fight and you think as soon as you fought them, next time I'm not. You know what I mean? Next time I'm letting that one go. Like it's it's a process. You know, McVeigh is a unicorn, and look, McVeigh, they might go six and ten next year. You know what I mean? Like who knows? I mean that the schedule gets tougher. Like. Whatever, like there's going to be ups and downs, but Josh is that. I'll go back to that Jeffrey Lurie thing, emotional intelligence, where he buried Chip Kelly. I think Josh's emotional intelligence and his sort of um, wherewithal and his ability to, to see beyond himself have grown exponentially since Denver. He's not trying to be Junior Belichick anymore. Like mm. it didn't work and it won't work. He's got to just be. Josh. Josh McDaniels, and right, he comes. So his his dad was a stud coach. I mean, he McVeigh coaching blood in the same way, like that lineage. The the same the same mentors. I mean, you can go back to Josh. Go look who Josh was a was a graduate assistant under, and all that stuff in 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 college. Like it. Same. Yeah. Same as Gase. Same as a lot of these guys. Like, I, I'm just telling you, I don't think it fails. I I. I really don't. If luck is healthy, I don't think it fails either. The other job that is about to be filled, and I'm flipping this, you, Nick Cost, I just took the reins as the host. Mid-stream, <laughs> what do you think about Pat Shermer coaching your New York Giants? I, I think I like it. I think I like it. I, I want to see what the staff's going to be. If indeed it's Shermer, I know, Jason, that you reported yesterday that it's a done deal. Um, who's the defensive coordinator going to be? I think that there are some question marks with it. But look, I mean, I think if you are Odell Beckham Jr. and you're Sterling Shepard, and you're Evan Ingram, like, you got to look at what he did with this Vikings. Like, this was not like like, like the Randall Cunningham, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Robert Smith Vikings from 1998. This was the Case Keenum, Latavius Murray, Jarek McKinnon, Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, Adam Thielen, Minnesota Vikings. This offense was kind of badass this year. And I think if you're Beckham and you're Eli Manning and you are, you know, whoever the running back ends up being, you got to look at this, and I think you got to be pretty excited. And it's like Jason said with Shermer, like, yeah, Shermer got a raw deal in Cleveland. Like, who the, I mean, I think you throw out what happened in Cleveland because no one freaking wins in Cleveland. I, I'm actually, I'm kind of pretty pumped up by this hire. And I think the question that everyone's asking, I was talking with Prisco yesterday in the office, can Pat Shermer be a leader of men? Jason can probably speak better to that than I can. Jason's more plugged into the league than I am. But I think just looking at it from the outside, I think there's a lot to be excited about with the Pat Shermer hire for the uh, for the New York Giants. And, and what the Vikings did last year, that offensive line was dreadful in 2016. Now, the offensive line free agent class is not as good this year as it was last year, but you can fix an offensive line over the course of an offseason. Maybe not turn it into the early 90s Cowboys, but at least a functional unit, unlike what it was this year. I see no reason why, under Shermer, with a healthy Odell Beckham Jr., with a better offensive line, and you know Gettleman's going to get that offensive line better, I see no reason why the Giants can't be a wild card contender next year under Pat Shermer. I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I think of the way things shook out, this was the, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Look, McDaniels and Gettleman, that's not, that really was not going to be a, a fit. And, and, and both sides know it. And, and you, you said know, it all from the beginning. Being, well, what about all things Belichick? being equal. Second Gettleman. No, no, Second Gettleman. Come on, get out of here. Uh, yeah. So th- th- that's what just wasn't going to happen. You know, and the Patricia thing, everything I was reporting in real time was that, Jimmy Sexton and the powers at CAA 
for using the New York media to squeeze everything they could get out of Bob Quinn, knowing Matt Patricia as the face of the New York Giants. Come on. Really? Like, who? Just take football out of it. Like, he's going to walk there. They just went through all this with McAdoo, right, and the imaging and the optics. And he's going to walk there the first day, you know what I mean, like with the beard and the pencil behind his ear. And, like, that's going to be – like, that's the corporate image of the New York – it's just I, – I don't buy it. I just never bought it. Um, did they want to talk to him? Sure. Like, did they – did he have a great interview? Yeah. But he was going to – Bob Quinn's been trying to hire this dude for two years. And he's got the quarterback in Detroit. And he'll have more power in Detroit than he'd ever have in, with the Giants. And it just, it just fits. So you start looking at – they wanted to hire an experienced coach, a guy who's done it before, all things being equal – Right then, it was Phil, all the Philadelphia media saying Schwartz is the guy. Schwartz would, and Gettleman would last five seconds, shorter than Josh McDaniels, if you know the personalities. Schwartz interviewing with John Mara would not be a pretty picture. And I'm a Schwartz guy. That was never the fit. He never even interviewed for the job. So who are we really looking at? Right? Like they're all their tells, and I don't think they were playing poker. They were telling you the owner came out publicly at a time when it was very raw and said we need someone who's done the job before. And Josh isn't a fit. And they didn't interview Schwartz, and they didn't interview Munchak. It's Pat Shermer. So this idea that they lost out on all these other guys, I, I don't think is fair. Um, I think Shermer was always well placed for this job. When Do you like it, open, though, Jason? I, Do you like? The I had hype? Shermer going to the Giants or the Cardinals. I do like it. Yeah, I, I think he'll keep Spags. Maybe not as the DC, but maybe as the DC. Um, well, why, why would? And it's Spags not just what he did in Minnesota DC? this year. Go back to what he did in Minnesota last year when they have North Turner, you know what I mean, either being pushed out or retiring five weeks in with, with a terrible offensive line, you know what I mean, and and not and, and feeling not established yet, and Diggs hurt all the time. And he made Sam Bradford look pretty darn good to the point where people came into this year saying, if Bradford does that again, they're going to have to franchise him to keep him. You know what I mean? He's going to get another plus million dollar deal. So, Yeah. And he knows Philadelphia well. He's been in Philadelphia. He's got some intel, you know, on, on them, and they're the big dog in the division right now. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. He caught another guy, coaching lineage, coaching family, has it in his blood, much more the corporate image that the Giants are looking for, can help them identify a quarterback moving forward. I mean, you have to look at the candidates available. And, like, you know, John Gruden's not a fit there for a lot of different reasons. So, who, you know what I mean? What are you really going to do? Saban, I don't think, is ever coming back to the NFL. Um, right. I mean, at this point, it's certainly not there to, to start over with a young quarterback who they're picking second overall or whatever. I mean, well, the time's not on his side in terms of a rebuild. You know, he's not 45 years old. So, yeah, I, I think Shermer makes a lot of sense, and um, I think they'll be patient with him. And I think it's a good spot for both parties, him and them. I I like the spot too. I will say I think I like I would have liked Shermer landing in Arizona from a quarterback standpoint, maybe a little bit better because of the options that were going to be out there in free agency. Um, whether you could trade for Alex Smith or whether he's cut by the Chiefs, um, all three of those Saints quarterback. I mean, excuse me, the Vikings quarterbacks ended up being out there. We joked sort of, but not really about Drew Brees being out there. Brees said today. Um, on uh, what's today, Tuesday, he said Tuesday morning that he he reiterated that he wants to be in <laughs> New Orleans. The question is just whether they're going to be willing to pony up for him. I, I assume that they will. But I like the idea of Shermer in Arizona because you have some weapons there. 
you can add in free agency, you can add in the draft, and then you can get a quarterback. But yeah, I mean, I think Eli, don't the Giants theoretically have more weapons though than the Cardinals? They do. I'm just saying from the quarterback position. Um, but look, Eli Manning flourished when he got a new system with Ben McAdoo. I mean, he'd been in that old system under Kevin Gilbride for so long, and he really took a bump up in his stats. And then I, I think that Shermer, as you pointed out, Jason, can take the offensive line struggles that they had in Minnesota, maybe find a way to improve them like he did in you know, like they did in Minnesota through the approach of Dave Gettleman. Dave Gettleman is shown he's not afraid to invest in offensive linemen, good or bad, Matt Um And I think that you can get a situation where Eli Manning has a bit of a, a, a – a second renaissance um, at whatever age, whatever ripe old. I just don't know how much he fits in that sort of. I mean, I guess he'll make Case Keenum look good. He can make Eli Manning look good. Come on. He can I make Eli will, Manning look good. I, I, I don't even know that they necessarily have to keep Eli Manning. I, I, I really don't. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I if don't they don't much. keep Eli, what, what, like, how, how, or how is he jettisoned? For how does that happen? Is it a trade? Is it an outright release? Like, how do you see that happening if it comes? I, mean, to I think fruition? I think you tell them you've got permission to explore a trade, and the market will speak. You well, know what I mean? Mark, I don't know. I mean, if, if Bortles keeps winning. If you take Jacksonville out of the mix, I don't. I don't even know how many teams are really trying to trade for Eli at this yeah. point. Denver and Arizona, about it. Look, I don't. See what, I mean, look, gotta see what happens. Cousins, like the dread. There's a lot up, and, and plus, like Eli, like, like I don't think Eli's like Peyton Manning was coming off the neck injury. Like, oh my God, we signed this guy and we can go win a Super Bowl. I, I don't think no. it's that. No, no, no. no. I, I don't either. No. And I think if Shermer runs the offense, he like, look, it worked okay with a with a less mobile Bradford in 2016, and and just threw a ton of of short passes, and you know he completed 70 percent of his passes or whatever. But I think ideally. He has a more mobile guy to do what he really wants to do to unlock the deep stuff and be more than just a dink and dunk West Coast team, right? I mean, go back to when he was in Cleveland. They drafted Colt McCoy. Now, I mean, the guy's still in the league. It wasn't the worst pick in the history of the world in the third round. But I think if you, if you look at some of the tells as he's gone along the way, it gives you a sense of, if, you know, the boot action and moving pockets and stuff like that. When that element is there – that offense takes a, ju- a major jump forward. And as we know, that's not Eli. And, and, and all those quarterbacks, I think, at the top of the draft, I mean, Darnold's maybe the most statuesque of them, but even Darnold can get out and move a little bit. Darnold, Rosen, obviously Josh Allen, who I don't want to see the Giants draft, Baker Mayfield, uh, Lamar Jackson. So there's a lot of interest there as it concerns the quarterbacks at the uh, at the top of the draft. And I'll, and I'll just say this, and you guys know, like, I love the Giants, but I'm not a homer. I thought before the year they were going to be terrible this year. Um, I, I'm going to say it now. They have a good offseason, and they're right back in the thick of things. I don't think they're that far off from being a 9-17. and 17. They're not going to go 11-5 and five or 12-4 and four next year, but I think that they could get back into contention. So well, we they, get the, they, yeah. One thing to watch with New York, too, is that and if you saw this in Carolina, Dave Gettleman is really okay, – A, he's frugal when, he, when it comes to free agency and stuff like that. He's not going to have that Jerry Reese spending spree that Reese had before he got booted. He's trying to save his job. He's smart. He, he's going to clean up the cap. He's going to make sure the cap's in good shape. But he's also really, really good at, about identifying mid to low level veteran contracts on the free agent market that will significantly help a team. And I think that's what you need to watch with the Giants. How do they improve in the draft? You know, do they go quarterback at two or do they, you know, do they, I mean, like, do they say, hey, look, we love Bradley Chubb. We'll figure out the quarterback situation later. We're going to go with the defensive end at two. I mean, that's not out of the question. I, you're you're right. It's not. I mean, as a fan, I, I want to see them get the quarterback position squared away. Right, but maybe they're like, "Hey, we're going to sign Kirk Cousins, and we're gonna, you know we're going to cut Eli Manning, 
and we're going to draft uh, Mike McClinchy, number two overall. Big, big old beefcake out of Notre Dame or Quentin. Is it Quentin Thomas? Quint, is the, no, oh, Quentin Nelson. That dude is a monster. Yeah, he's going to go in the top ten, the guard from Notre Dame. That's it from everything, from everything that I've read. He and Chubb are the two best. And Raekwon Smith, I think, are the two best non uh Where are the Bears picking? Where are the Bears picking? The Bears, they, they're a couple picks behind the Giants. The Bears, look what they did. Just connect the dots, right? They bring back the O-line coach from Notre Dame. They're trying to build something for Trubisky. Uh, I, I, I could see. I could see the Bears <laughs> taking at least one of those Notre Dame offensive lines. They, what's the dude, is it Connor Williams out of Texas? Is it, I think it's Connor Williams out of Texas. Is that there's right? Or, or, or Orlando Brown, the son of Zeus, obviously, in, in Oklahoma. So there, there's a lot of – this, the top ten is fascinating this year. I mean, it always, it always is pretty fascinating. So uh, we got to hit a couple more coaching um, news items here before we get out of here. So, Will, you just brought up the Arizona Cardinals, and it feels like in this game of coaching musical chairs, the Cardinals might be left at the end maybe for the scraps. And I don't know if that's fair to say, Jason. You know more than I do. So let's give well, you the floor here. Yeah. What are the Arizona Cardinals thinking as it concerns their head coaching vacancy? Yeah, I don't know if you could say scraps. And again, we don't know how, how these things are all going to. No, that was probably unfair. How, how successful they are. But look, there was, I mean, it, when it got down to four teams and then it expanded with Tennessee to five, but, but when it was four teams, there was three coordinators who were coveted by multiple teams, you know, for the most part, Shermer, McDaniels, and Patricia. Nobody had hired anybody out of the playoffs yet because ideally they're getting one of the guys still in the playoffs. So if Vrabel or Wilkes were absolutely your guy, you could have gone ahead and hired them. Then you could have hired them yesterday. You could have hired them today. So I don't believe it's them. Now, Munchak was another guy still in the playoffs who I'm told impressed the Cardinals, had a nice interview there, someone maybe they would want to talk to again back in Arizona. He was playing Sunday, obviously didn't go well, or Saturday didn't go well. Um, or no, Sunday, I had it right the first time. And so now, could they bring him in by the middle of the week or something like that uh, to talk to him again? They could. It wouldn't shock me. You look at their lineage there. Bruce Arians, a guy who spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh. They had Russ Grimm and Ken Wisenhunt there off Coach Cowher's old staff. Um, you know, a regime before that. Uh, they've had Todd Haley there, who's a Pittsburgh guy. Um, at his roots, dad has ties to that organization. That, that, the Bidwells have reached back to that sort of Rooney tree quite a bit so Munchak would make some sense maybe Munchak could bring Haley back Haley had a pretty successful stint there running that offense they got to a Super Bowl so I think that's intriguing to them you know they're the one team that talked to Jimmy Schwartz and obviously they can't talk to him again until the Super Bowl bye week or uh and if you know obviously if the, if the Eagles lost and they could talk to him right after the championship game you know and then you know do they do do they sort of go way outside the box? And, you know, would would they hire Brian Flores? Would they go with the Patriots linebackers coach and take the real long view? Um, which would be interesting. Like, I, I can't hate people for for trying something different. I mean, could that be the guy they're waiting for? Maybe. Not the craziest thing in the world. So, you know, I think that's, I think that's where they sit right now. Um the thing about the Cardinals to me, and, um, you know, I don't, don't want to give Steve Kime a free pass, but people, and he's made this point himself back in 2013, this is, he took over a Cardinals team that was not in good shape. 
Um, they went out and hired Bruce Arians as their head coach. Bruce Arians was rejected by the Bears, right? Yeah, uh, so they could hire Mark Tressman. Yeah, they said so they hired Tressman over him. They they did not. The Cardinals did not get wild, favorable reviews. They did not win the press conference by signing Bruce Arians and by trading for Carson Palmer. People, people gave, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I didn't think the Palmer thing was going to work out, honestly. Um, they didn't, they didn't, people didn't think that they were going to take that combination, add it to whatever the Cardinals had before, and suddenly become contenders for five years. And so I think the important thing to remember is that while we're like, oh, Matt Nagy, ooh, the new offensive mind, the young the young fella, that, that Steve Kime has gone out and done a good job of doing this before, and that it is probably best to judge a hire three years removed from the hire rather than 30 minutes. Am I, am what I a right? Novel, what a novel concept. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree entirely. I mean, we're in an age and a media culture where people are going to be asked to give their knee-jerk opinions before things even happen sometimes, and that comes with the territory. Um, but, but yeah, and the other thing that's missed a lot, too, is we get so caught up in the head coach, but it's the totality of the staff. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the way up. Do you have guys who, who are really good at what they do and, B, can work really well together? Because that's often going to determine winning and losing, not just deciding whether to go for it on fourth down or whether to onside kick. I mean, that stuff matters. The head coach is obviously vastly important, but they can only do so much. And who are they delegating to? You know, I get the sense that Arizona would like to keep their D coordinator. Um, you know, I don't know how that would fit with a Wilkes or a Vrabel. And again, if those are the guys, and now that they're interviewing for Tennessee, if those are your guys, you go ahead and hire them immediately. Like if they're hiring one of those guys they've already talked to, who's you know no longer in the playoffs, then those those hires would come by Wednesday morning, I would think. Um, and I don't expect them to. You know, Schwartz. Look, Schwartz could be Schwartz could be interesting there. As well, but but the problem there is now if he does interview in Tennessee, just knowing what he how much he loves that area, knowing he just had a house built there a year or so ago, I mean, uh, and having a Mariota, you know, having some stable things, um, boy, it'll be interesting for Arizona. It, it'll it'll you know it'll be interesting. All right, so one or two more here before we get out of here. Um, I've been saving this one because uh, before we go to the next thing, can I can I derail this for of course. one? Yeah. Okay, so. I'm, I'm on the news shift this morning, uh, Tuesday morning for, for the, for CBS sports.com. And, uh, I, I've written two things about the Eagles so far. I've written one in this podcast that's just insane. But the first one, they're doing this, do, this, these dog mask thing. Yeah. Like yeah. Lane Johnson had. All right. I love Creepy. it. I, but you know that like the dog mask sold out on Amazon. They're not, you can't buy that dog mask anywhere. It's so, they're it's, all going to be wearing them on yeah. Sunday, it's, right? It's, so it's all that it's one cool. breed. Was it a German Shepherd or something? Like everybody wants the exact one that Lane Johnson had. It can't just be any dog. It can't be like a poodle or whatever, I guess. See, that's what I wrote. Like I went, I went and researched this this morning because I'm a lunatic, but they have, uh, the same company makes a poodle, a pug. And, uh, a very, like, uh, a weird, like, basset hound that somehow is the least creepy of all, of all of them. I want 30,000 Eagles fans in that stadium wearing creepy ass dog masks, looking down at the vi- I couldn't play a game. I couldn't do any, I couldn't do anything if there were 30,000 people in creepy. It'd be like Purge 3, where it's like, it's like mur- a horror movie. Yeah, mur- 100%. Mur- murders. Yeah, that would be crazy. Eagles stands. And I'd be like, I mean, can you imagine Fox? They're like, well, let's just check on the crowd. You know, like you just cut to the stands and it's just dark. It would be incredible. 
So it's all from one company. You track, you you know the company. Yeah, I mean, they, they're like uh, Jimmy Kimsky of Philly Voice uh, went out and asked him, like, where did you get the mask? Posted a link on it to Twitter, and they sold out within like forty-five minutes or something like that. Like, you just can't buy them if you try to. Dude, get you should do a post, call the place, and see like how like how long it takes them. Like, are they bringing in extra seasonal workers to try to crank out more masks by the weekend? You know what I mean? Like, what? How many can they even produce thirty thousand masks in a week? Like, you know what I mean? I wonder. I don't even know how that works. Are they even football fans? Like, imagine like one of them's like an eagle, like a football fan. He's watching the game. He's like, "That's my mask! Oh my god!" Like, that's and like, is it supposed to be like? For Halloween costumes, why do those masks even really exist? And and here's the best part is that if you look on it, um, so the the guys who make the mask, they're like this is the this is absolutely the weirdest thing about it. Hold on, I'm bringing up. I just want to make sure I read it exactly correctly. It's called first. It's called Creepy Party is the company, I believe. Novelty Halloween wow. Animal Shepherd Creepy Party Novelty Halloween Party Latex Animal Dog Hask Head German Shepherd Mask, and then like one of the under the description. It says, buy these masks together to make a dog family night. And they have, like, three other masks. Okay, who's doing a creepy dog family night? There's psychopaths living out there in America. And speaking Dude, of- you got to call the president of that company and find out, like, what the, like. Right, you're right, I do. Um, you know, I, yeah. their profits must, like, they, like, this, I guarantee you this would be the biggest month in the history of that company, probably even bigger than Halloween. Because, yeah. again, how many people, even at Halloween, want to wear a creepy dog mask? Right. No, I I'm with you. And um and then the other interesting uh news I'd rather let the dog out, me personally. Uh oh, speaking of dogs. Uh Kappa. Um the other interesting news and note from the Eagles playoff situation. A young Eagles fan named <laughs> named Taylor uh, Hendricks, twenty two year old, gets ejected from the Falcons and Eagles game. Have you guys heard about this? No. Okay. No. He gets ejected from the Eagles game. Take the doggy steps. Or repeated punching a police horse in the face. Is that real? I saw the headline, did not read the story. After he got tossed, police say Hendricks approached a mounted police officer, punning, punching his horse repeatedly in the face and neck, then struck like blazing saddles. In the legs. Like, how, did, how did the horse not kick him? I guess they're used to the crowd. So and was act- the horse just tied up? There, there was no, there no, the, was no the, cop the, on the horse? No, no, no. He's punching the horse in the, the face and the neck, and then he punches the cop's legs, and then the cop arrested him. Like, the cop didn't realize the guy was pummeling his horse prior to that? I think he was just stunned. It was like like he watched the guy do it three times. It was like, what? like are you punching my horse? Is this, like, is this like the scene in Dumb and Dumber when Jim Carrey kills the horse at the beginning with all the food and the cop comes over like, oh, you killed my horse? I mean, look, I've done a million dumb, drunk things that I regret. Oh, dude, this is not drunk. This is like PCP or angel dust involved. This is like the guy at the Preakness. Do you remember the guy at the Preakness in Baltimore like 10 years ago? Who jumped the fence and ran at the horse and tried to punch the horse in like a race before the Preakness? They found he was all jacked up on PCP and angel dust. Why would you go to a horse race jacked up on PCP? Uh, Hendricks was charged with aggravated assault, illegally taunting a police horse, <laughs> simple assault, and defiant trespass. He posted bail around 4 a.m. Sunday morning, uh, 10% of the $5,000 bail. January 30th, preliminary hearing. He could be banned from the link from the from the from the Victor financial field, and he may also face animal cruelty charges. Yeah, 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 yeah. If he had done this twenty years ago, he would have been in prison underneath the vet. So at least he's got to be yeah. happy that, that it's Lincoln Financial at this point. We got like five minutes left, so I want to hit one more news item here before we get out of here. Um, the Cleveland Browns search at offensive coordinator has hilariously produced yeah. two names over the last few days. 
Mike Malarkey, and Ben McAdoo. When you thought it couldn't get any worse, Browns fans, here we go. I actually don't think McAdoo would be a horrendous hire. You can't sell Mike Malarkey coming in to run this Cleveland Browns offense, though. Like, Jason, like you talked about Jim Caldwell getting fired, and I don't want to rehash the Hugh Jackson thing because it's obviously 1-31, in insane that he's being brought back, obviously. But now, like, Mike Malarkey, Ben McAdoo, like, what the hell are the Browns doing? Well, look, the GM would have fired the coach if he was allowed to. The owner's not letting him. So let's just play it forward. If I'm John Dorsey, and you, yet at the very least you're going to get an OC. I, I, they're, let's, they're not developing a young guy. Like this, oh, they wanted to talk to the, the Texans quarterback coach and all this stuff. Look, the staff is getting blown up by the end of next year. And Hugh Jackson, when they start 0-4 and, and he's now in like an 0-21 streak, he's getting fired. So you better find an OC who's been a head coach before because he may need to steward you through 12 games with a young quarterback who you don't want to completely bleep in the head right out of the gate. So I think it's smart to hire one of those two because at least they've been through the wars. And if you need them for eight games, 12 games, I mean, I'm looking at them already, and this is like a Joe Philbin, Dennis Allen situation. Remember where they came back from London in like week four or week five, and that was it? That's what this is. So, I mean, if I'm Dorsey, I'm, I'm and, and, look, and, you know, maybe Hugh goes down swinging and Hugh doesn't want to let anybody decide what's going on. But if I'm Dorsey, I'm having conversations with the owner. Like, okay, dude, I get you don't want to do it now. This is your guy, blah, 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 blah. But let's just be real, right? They just had a freaking parade at 0-16. You know, we've, we're going to go into the year having won once in, like, the last 18 months. Like, if this thing gets in October without a win – and this guy wants to start making decisions in the moment just to win a game because he needs to win a game, then he's got to go. They did that this year. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, they went 0-16. Like, they didn't win a game this year. No, it's crazy. It, look, this whole thing is ludicrous. But I would tell, go ahead and get a McAdoo or a Malarkey because, well, I'm not bringing Malarkey. It's not Malarkey. I mean, I'm not running a 1985 offense. I'll go get McAdoo. McAdoo wouldn't be do a with the kid. No, and if he's got to get me through a, a while so I can go try to get, you know, uh, Mike McCarthy or whatever a year from now or John Harbaugh or whatever, then, then yeah, okay. Um, you know, I can deal with that. You know what's going to be hilarious is when I, Hugh Jackson gets fired midseason and McAdoo's the interim coach and then McAdoo gets the job. It's just that Mike Malarkey wins one playoff game and gets fired, and Hugh Jackson wins one game in two, in two years, years and keeps his job. Like He got he, worse from 1-15. I mean, that's the, guys, that, guys, that guys, should get Vince say, Lombardi fired. They won 0-16. They won zero games. Zero. Uh, you know, we could we could have talked to Ken Norton, but we'll, we'll save that for next time. Norton moves to the Seahawks as their new defensive coordinator. Good of Kyle Shanahan to let him out of the contract as Norton wanted to be at D.C. again. So, yeah, Seahawks defense should be pretty good. We'll see who comes back. Uh, we'll discuss that more on future editions of the podcast. But we got we got to roll here. So, for uh, Jason Luck and Four and Will Brinson, I am Nick Costos. The three of us plus Pete Frisco, the four horsemen, back later in the week. Our picks against the spread and preview championship Sunday in the NFL.